and then I'll make some announcements. Joel's gonna do the prayer tonight. <laughs> Good evening. Thank you guys for coming. You wanna stand, we're gonna pray. That's how we usually start this meeting out. All right. Father God, thank you for this time tonight. Uh, we just welcome your spirit, Lord, uh, to come and, and inspire us, Lord, to uh, teach us teach us what we've been missing, Lord. Uh, teach us how to be closer to you. Thank you, Father, for the strength that you've given us, for this place that you've given us, and all these people that you put us around, Lord. Thank you for loving us when we were unlovable and for caring for us when we couldn't care for ourselves. Lord, thank you for all these people that we get to love and be loved by. And I pray for their families, Lord, that you've blessed them and keep them close. Keep them close on this journey that we're going through. Uh, and just protect all of us, Father, as we get hit by these darts um, that come our way. Uh, even if they knock us down, Father, just pick us back up and put us back on, on, on the road. Uh, I just pray that, that you inspire Wayne tonight as he brings uh, the message of step two and um, open our hearts to hear tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, everybody, we would like you to pray for Joe. I'll just do that really quick. <laughs> Joe uh, went to the hospital about two hours ago. He's having heart issues. Um, his blood pressure is coming down, Denise just said, uh, but his pulse is extremely low, low enough that they've got paddles on him. So let's just lift Joe up in our prayers. Heavenly Father, we pray for healing for Joe and Chap, and Dean, and for all the others that just need healing. Thank you, God, for doing it. Lord, your word says that if we ask for anything in your son's name, that it will be done, Lord. And we claim that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. I did not get a chance to prepare for any of this since I knew about two hours ago. So we're doing this on the cuff, so let's uh, let's um, let's shout out to some all these other prison yards tonight too. Let's do that. Can we do that? Yeah. Because, ladies and gentlemen, New Freedom ain't going nowhere. The crowd looks a little thin tonight, but we're getting there. New Freedom is not leaving. We are not going anywhere. We are doing God's work. So let's have an encounter with God tonight. How's that sound? All right, I'm gonna have to get my get my eyes in the right spot. Uh, oh. So why do we use this book in 12-step recovery? It works, right? The process described by the authors has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. So in the preceding chapters, you have learned something about alcoholism, something of alcoholism. Did we? What did we learn about alcoholism in the preceding chapters? Oh, thank you. I didn't do that last time. <laughs> We're on page 44. See, I need a little help, you guys. <laughs> we'll get through this. We will get through this together. Page 44, page 44 chapter 4, we agnostics. And 
who were the first 100, right? There were the we that we're talking about in the book. So we agnostics, half the original fellowship were atheists and agnostic, but that means the other half were believers dying in their addiction. That's my experience coming into the rooms, right? Coming into an awareness of this. So that was how I, I began to do it. But in the preceding chapters, you've learned something of alcoholism. What have we learned about alcoholism up to this point? It'll kill you. It's a fatal disease, right? Inability to stop and stay stopped. And when I do take it, I, I can't control the amount that I take. We hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic, right? We just talked about that. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. Do we have any alcoholics in the room tonight? There we go, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll raise my hand too. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. To one who feels he is an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. But con to continue as he is means disaster, especially if he's an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. Are we alcoholics of the hopeless variety? Have we, have we made that distinction yet? Yeah. yeah, we go. We got a couple out here. <laughs> to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. And I like how... Uh-huh. <laughs> right. It's funny. Why? Alcoholic death or a happy, joyous, and free life, on the other hand, which are we going to choose? Right. I continually kept choosing the, I'd say I wanted a happy, joyous, and free life, but I kept choosing the alcoholic misery and the alcoholic death. Anybody else? Anybody know what I'm talking about? This thing keeps moving on me. Uh, but it isn't so difficult. About half our original fellowship were exactly that type. What type? Atheist or agnostic? declared, right? Bill Wilson was an atheist, you know what I mean? Didn't, didn't believe that God uh, could be proven to exist. At first, some of us tried to avoid the issue, hoping against hope we were not true alcoholics. How, how many times did you guys, like, just keep thinking? I, I, I think I, I knew the very first time that I, I, was, a, I was a more of a drug addict than, than an alcoholic, right? And I, I knew instantly that, that I had a problem. I said, oh, I think I'm addicted to this, but I didn't truly come to believe for a long time that I was an alcoholic. What did I do? I forgot where is that. True alcoholics. But after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. Perhaps it is going to be that way with you, but cheer up. Something like half of us thought we were atheists or agnostic. Why do they say thought? Because they changed their mind, right? They only thought they were atheists or agnostic. They go into some more stuff, stuff later where they, where they talk about that. Our experience shows that you need not be disconcerted. If a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. How what does that say? Oh, <laughs> I was supposed to make an announcement. <laughs> Next week on Thanksgiving, we're not doing PON. There's no, yeah, we're not going to do it. And especially since Joe's probably going to be in the hospital. <laughs> Don't, right, you're right. Don't, yeah. Um, if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of, would, many of us would have recovered long ago. They keep telling me I need to slow down. I probably do. Sorry, you guys. I know. <laughs> 
Um, how many times did you change your places and your playmates and your and your your, your set, set of rules that you were going to go over, or you know you moved into a different halfway house or something like that? How many times did we try to do things like that? Too many to count, right? But we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us, no matter how hard we tried. We could wish to be moral. We could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could wish these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. They failed us utterly. So how many... How many times did you just try to put it down? I'm not going to pick up one, not, to not pick up once. You know what I mean? I don't pick up no matter what. That's the way it is. And then you overreacted. <laughs> right? And then we overreacted. Or I think, well, you know, I can, I can, I can, I put down the, the this substance, but I'll just do this one. I'll be fine. I can just smoke a little pot. <laughs> right? But they're going to tell us what the problem was. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live. God. <laughs> I love it. Because when we do, what do we do? When I say God, you say? Yeah, absolutely. We're kind of going the other direction. because we <laughs> Lack of power, that was our dilemma. But we had to find a power by which we could live. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how to find, where we to find? were we to find this power. So if we go over to page 55, they're going to tell us exactly where we are going to find this power. Deep down inside. <laughs> Deep down inside. Yeah, they're going to tell us in a second. Uh, the second... <laughs> yeah, don't get ahead of me. <laughs> Come on, you guys. Don't get too far ahead of me. <laughs> See, we got, we got to kill 50 more minutes, you guys. Don't... <laughs> you know what I mean? We're going to get there. Actually, we were fooling ourselves, for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. Power. Power. <laughs> Power. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other, it is there. What are calamities, pomps, and worships, right? Calamities, traumas in our lives, pomps. I like how Joe describes it, right? When uh, something goes good in my life, I did it. When something bad in my life happens, you all did it, yeah. right? Those are pomps, just like that. Uh, and worship of other things. We probably have some uh, experience with worshiping other things, putting other things before every other thing, other thing in our life. What's that? A false idol. That's exactly what it is. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are fact as old as man. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God was part of our... <laughs> there you go. I'll, I'll learn one of these days. It was part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. Now, they're not saying that, that God is a feeling. <laughs> power is a feeling. But that our awareness of that power in our lives is, is that same type of feeling. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. He was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. 
it was so with us. And this is, just, this is what the authors are, are, are stating too. I want to make sure I make that point all, as often as possible, that that's what we're talking about. This is the experience of the authors, and we're trying to align our experience with theirs. Are we good so far? Yes. Everybody's, every, we're all on the same page now? As long as I keep telling you which page we're on? <laughs> all right, we're going to go back to 45 real quick. Well, I don't know if it's real quick, but we're going to go back there. Obviously, but where and how are we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power by, greater than yourself, which will solve your problems. Did, when you guys got here, did you know that's what you were tr trying to do, solve your, pro solve your problems? Yeah, I I didn't. I just I thought my only problem was was the drug and the drink. I didn't know that I was really trying to solve my problems. I just thought I needed to stop using. You know what I mean? And everything else would straighten out if I could just stop using. And that was definitely not my experience because I would stop using and life would still be a shit show. You know, I had problems with relationships. I had problems with jobs. I could, you know what I mean? It just nothing seemed to work out for me. Uh, that means we've written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. And it means, of course, that we're going to talk about God. <laughs> there we go. See, I paused for that one, guys. <laughs> Here, difficulty arises with agnostics. Many times, we talk to a new man and watch his hope rise as we discuss his alcoholic problems and explain our fellowship. But his face falls when we speak of spiritual matters especially when we mention God. <laughs> For we have reopened a subject, subject which our man thought he had neatly evaded or entirely ignored. So we know how he feels. Who is we? First 100. First 100. We have shared his honest doubt and prejudice. I, I, I always tell my, my new guys, share with me your honest doubt and prejudice. Right? Because if you tell us about us and we can talk about it, then we can usually, maybe not overcome it, but we can kind of go back and talk to you more about it, as long as you share it with us. Uh, some of us have been violently anti-religious. Where does the violence come from? Fear. It's fear, but it's deep down inside, right? So it's probably obscuring the, the awareness of God in your life. <laughs> uh, to, other, to others, the word God <laughs> brought up a particular idea of him with which someone had tried to impress them during childhood. I, this, is, this is where kind of my, I'm at, right? I, I grew up in a church where, you know, I got the preacher at the pulpit who's pounding on it, telling you're going to hell because you're, you know, sinning or you're looking at you know, doing a whole list of a host of other things that you shouldn't be doing, right? The thou shalt not, and the rather than the, the God is love, and <laughs> and uh, and so it, I I believed in a, ve a vengeful God, a God that was going to. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I believed in power that was not on my side, had everything against me, right? Um, 
particular identity with someone impressed upon them during childhood. Perhaps we rejected this particular conception because it seemed inadequate. With that rejection, we imagined we had abandoned the God, God idea. Let's try that again. We, with that rejection, we imagined we had abandoned the God <laughs> idea entirely. We were bothered with the thought that faith and dependence upon a power beyond ourselves was somewhat weak, even cowardly. That's telling, right? Sometimes, especially talking to all my fellow brethren that have been in prison before, we're tough. I'm not scared of shit, right? Laying down is, is, is not the way we do it. I'm fighting all the way to it. So why can't I lick this? Why can't I lick this addiction that's just sending me to places like prison and sending me to, you know, rooms of fellowship? I mean, we like this one, but sometimes, sometimes the, rooms, the rooms that I've been in were not very loving. They were not as loving as the church was even at times. We looked upon this world of warring individuals, warring theological systems, and inexplicable calamity with deep skepticism. We looked askance at many individuals who claimed to be godly. Powerly. You gotta say powerly then, right? Does that one count? Godly, powerly? No? <laughs> How could a supreme being have anything to do with it all? Right, and you'll notice the question marks. Whenever they ask a question, ask yourself those questions. Think about, about well, how could a supreme being have anything to do with it all? That's not a God. I didn't say God, did I? Oh, that's fair. <laughs> all right, that's fair. I'll give you that one. <laughs> and who could comprehend a supreme being anyhow? Another supreme being. Yet in other moments, we found ourselves thinking when enchanted by a starlit night, who then made all this? That was a, and have you ever had those moments, right? When you look out, I, I was driving home the other day and I, I, I probably almost wrecked my car because I shouldn't have been taking a picture of the sky on the I-10 going, which direction is that? West at 4.30 in the afternoon. It was, it was a little bit later than that. And just took this beautiful picture of this sunset that was just, and it just made me think the heavens declare your wonder. And it's those moments that are, there was a feeling of awe and wonder, but it was fleeting and soon lost. Yes, we of agnostic temperament have had these thoughts and experiences. So they're just, they're, that's what they're doing. They're saying we, we're atheists and agnostics, but now they're, they're having these encounters and these experiences that make them think, right? Well, like who could comprehend a supreme being? And... And, uh, yeah, they're just having these experiences. I was going to say something else, and I just... Yes, we have agnostic temperament, have had these thoughts and experiences. Let us make haste to reassure you. We found that as soon as... And this is the experience of the first 100, right? Half of them, atheists or agnostic, declared. Yet we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. Power, power. <laughs> right? I want to go back through that a little bit. We found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, and what is willingness? Willingness is divine power. 
So when we wanted to do something, right, we got to ask God. God, make me be willing to do it. <laughs> I'm just, it's one of the, I wonder how long it took Joe to get to that point. <laughs> Where you can pause after every time. Uh, we commence to get results. We commence to get results. That's kind of a little promisey. Would you say, Sean? We commenced to get results as soon as we became willing to believe that there was a power greater than ourselves, even though it was impossible to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. <laughs> right, just takes a little bit. God meets us where we're at, right, and then continues to give the increase as we go along. Did I do it again? <laughs> Much to our relief, we discovered that we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Why do, we, why do we not need to consider another person's conception of God? Because God's not a conception. <laughs> yeah, we can do this all night. I'm good with it. <laughs> right. God's not a conception. Oh, God. Power's not a conception. <laughs> God's not a conception. And... <laughs> I'm going to get the giggles if I don't stop it. Um, God is a tangible, sensory experience. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to effect a contact with him. Right? God meets us where we're at. <laughs> as soon as Carrie Ann said she was super happy because I'd probably use God four million times tonight. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, <laughs> that one doesn't count, you guys, a spirited universe, <laughs> but that is what they're talking about there, right? Whenever they're using these capital letters, and it, they use bridge of reason a little while, and, and all the, you know, creative intelligence, spirited universe, they're talking about it's the divine, that divine capitalization, is kind of what I call it sometimes. Uh... I'm going to start that sentence over. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. What are those other simple steps? Right, we're in two, so probably we're going to want to go three through 12. And... And this is a manner of living, guys, and that's what they're really starting to talk to us about here. This is a manner of living. I can't do anything under my own power. I admitted to powerless in one, right? Did anybody else admit to powerlessness in one? Yeah, we fully conceded to our innermost selves that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. I think I just paraphrased some shit right there. But we found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. Seek. It is open, we believe, to all men and women. <laughs> when, therefore, we speak to you of God, <laughs> we mean your own conception of God. This applies, too, to other spiritual expressions which you find in this book. Talking a lot gets you, get you thirsty. <laughs> uh, 
do not let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. Well, so what do they mean that? To redefine the book? That's not what they're talking about. Right? Get out of the thesaurus. Look up the definition. I find sometimes when I think I know what a word means, it really doesn't mean that. <laughs> you know? And really go, go inward. Figure out what they mean to you and why they mean it to you. Right? It, were you harmed by a church? Were you harmed by an AA group? Right? That happens a lot of times, too. I've, I've, I've talked to people that go, oh, I'm never going to AA. That shit doesn't work. Well, I didn't think it worked until it finally did, until I had this encounter with power that we're supposed to have. <laughs> I'm looking at Emily. She's, she's, on, my, she's on it right now. She's <laughs> Do not let any prejudice... Any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourselves what they mean to you. At the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth to affect our first conscious, conscious relation with God as we understood him. And who is we? The first 100. And how did they understand God? They just kind of told us. They told us a little bit more of a new sense of power and direction flow into them, right? Power, peace, happiness, a sense of direction flowed into them. Didn't say a trickle or a drip, but it flowed, right? <laughs> I keep trying to slow down in the worst spots instead of when I'm reading. <laughs> Afterward, we found ourselves accepting many things which then seemed entirely out of reach. That was growth, but if we wished to grow, we had to begin somewhere. So we used our own conception, however limited it was. And that's just kind of what I said before. God's going to meet you where you're at. <laughs> God's going to meet you where you're at. Come on. God. There we go. <laughs> One of these days I'll do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <coughs> uh, so we used our own conception, however many. God's going to meet you. I God, I keep doing it. <laughs> God, this power is going to meet you where you're at and then walk with you and empower you to move forward. That's what the authors are, are testifying to and witnessing to at this point. We need to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am I willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you just even willing to believe? That's all you got to start with. As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. That's the experience of the first 100 and the first couple of thousand after that, right? Are testifying to the fact that as soon as someone was even willing to believe, there was change. A deep and effectual, effectual change was, was experienced. They watched it, they witnessed it. It has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. That was great news to us, for we had assumed we could not make use of spiritual principles unless we accepted many things on faith which seemed difficult to believe. What's the old, what's the, what are they talking about? The, what's the old, uh, you guys know the... The sitting in a chair, whenever you sit in a chair, you're exercising faith because you just have faith that it's not going to break, break, right? We have, we, we have faith in all kinds of things that we do throughout our life. It's going to talk about the light switch and, the, and all those things here in a little bit. That was great news. Oh, I messed up. 
When people presented us with spiritual approaches, how frequent, frequently did we all say, I wish I had what that man has? I'm sure it would work if I could only believe as he believes. But I cannot accept, but I cannot accept as surely true the many articles of faith which are so plain to him. Did, did you guys experience that with anything? As you're walking through, like going into the rooms endlessly and, and, and thinking that you're supposed to get it but not really getting it? And you just think about That's kind of what they're describing here, too. Uh, besides the seeming inability to, to accept much on faith, we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. So now they're just talking about the experience of having had a bad experience and then continuing to make, make judgments about the people that go to those places, whether it be churches or AA rooms. Or, shit, it can be any other thing, right? People, people in general. Many of us have been so touchy that even casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with, excuse me, with antagonism. This sort of thinking had to be abandoned. So we just got to open our minds a little bit, right? I'm willing to believe, so let me stop making some judgments. As we, we're starting to like, really kind of look at our thinking. We're getting there, anyway. They're tricking us. I think they're tricking us. <laughs> they're, like, they're tricking us into doing things before we, they tell us that they're going to make us do it, I think, a lot of times. Mm. This sort of thinking had to be abandoned. Though some of us resisted, we found no great difficulty in casting aside such feelings. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we, as we had tried to be on other questions. Ray beat us into a state of reasonableness. In this respect, alcohol was the great persuader. It finally beat us, oh, I just said that. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. <laughs> Sometimes this was a tedious process. We hope no one else will be prejudiced for as long as some of us were. I was prejudiced for a super long time. But I kept thinking I could just do a little, do a little on the weekends and continue to... Yeah. And, and then rail, it, rail it at, at the, the, the God <laughs> that I believed in for not rescuing me. That was, you know what I mean, my experience. The reader may still ask why he should believe in a power greater than themselves. We think there are good reasons. Let us have a look at some of them. The practical individual of today is a stickler for facts and results. We're very scientific these days, right? <laughs> Nevertheless, <laughs> you know what I mean? Nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts theories of all kinds, provided they are firmly grounded in fact. We have numerous theories, for example, about electricity. Everybody believes them without a murmur of doubt. Why this ready acceptance? If we think about it. Right. <laughs> right. We get, how do you know the light came on? Right? It's evidence. We can see the effects of the light getting switched. So we know that it, we know that it exists. It's the same way with us. Once we've had an encounter with power, people around us are going to notice. You're going to, listen, you're going to get up with an hour and a half notice and do PON without being, like, prepared at all. <laughs> you know? You're going to do things like that. You're going to do things that you never thought you would do before. You're going to drive, you know, 45 minutes across town to meet with other guys to take them through this amazing book, right? 
and introduce them to this power. You know, you're going to start thinking differently. You're going to do all kinds of things in your life, really. But it's going to be evident. Uh, where was I at? Uh, simply because it is impossible to explain what we see, feel, direct, and use without a reasonable assumption as a starting point. Everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there is good evidence but no perfect visual proof. And does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? It is being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world that outward appearances are not inward reality at all. To illustrate, the prosaic steel girder is a mass of electrons whirring around each other at incredible speed. These tiny bodies are governed by precise laws, and these laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. But does, can we, have you ever seen that? They used to tell us that in kindergarten. Does everybody remember? Am I too old for that shit? They used to tell us that, that it was, I still don't understand it, still don't get it, but I believe it because they tell me it. We have no reason to doubt it. Yeah, I do, I don't, can't see it. When, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested, that underneath the material world and life as we see it, there is an all-powerful, guiding, creative intelligence. Right there, our perverse streak comes to the surface, and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. Why do you suppose we do that? We think we know better. We think we know better. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of think we're we kind of think we're God. <laughs> you don't know I mean that we're in control of all these things and we can affect everything that's kind of going on and happening in our lives. We read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments, thinking we believe this universe needs no God to explain it. Think, <laughs> believe this universe needs no God to explain it. Where our contention's true, it would follow that life originated out of nothing, means nothing, and proceeds nowhere. Is that true? It's not, right? I mean, we've come, to, we've come to realize that and come to know that, but we feel that, especially when we're deep into our addiction and nothing seems to be working and we've got no purpose in our life. Because that's the purpose of what we're doing. We're trying to wake up. 12-step recovery is about awakening. It's not about abstinence, guys. It's about this ever-deepening relationship with God. No! <laughs> and letting him direct our lives and to help other people. Instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God ever, God's ever-advancing creation, we agnostics and atheists chose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and end of all. Rather vain of us, wasn't. I like how Joe does this, so I'm going to do that again, right? Did any of you have a say in being brought into this world? Nope. At all? Yeah. And, and uh, he, I like how he makes the point. Not part of the alpha. Yeah, I got to make the point. See, I forget. <laughs> and uh, do you know when you're going, first of all, right? And did you, as you were out there in your running and gunning, see your friends die? Or people die that you didn't expect it. I mean, for those of us that work here, how many staff members I got in the room tonight? Come on, Carrie Ann, raise your hand. There you go. <laughs> Joel always calls you out, so I had to do it too. You know what I mean? We've had a few, we've had a few deaths lately, 
right, unfortunately. So uh, that would probably indicate you don't get to talk about, you know, you don't know where the in's coming or why or any of those things there too. And many of us probably have a whole lot of hazy spots in the middle as well. <laughs> Carrie Ann's got her hand up for that one. <laughs> Rather vain of us wasn't. So if we don't know when the beginning's, you know, anything about the beginning, and we don't know when the end is coming, it is kind of rather vain of us to think that, that perhaps we're, you know, a power great enough to uh, make it through life. See, I was trying not to say God there. It didn't work. <laughs> we who have traveled this dubious, dubious path beg you to lay aside prejudice, even against organized religion. We have learned that whatever the human frailties of various faiths may be, those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. I always wondered why, uh, like, like normies, I guess, church people who would naturally, especially now as I walk, you know, I'm kind of walking this better path and, you know, talking to God on a daily basis, and I, <laughs> and I feel like I'm, you know, doing it, <laughs> and uh, I see people that did it naturally that were not that are not in my same position, or haven't been where we've where we've been, and and think how did they get it right? We've learned that whatever the human frailties of various faiths may be, those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. People of faith have a logical idea of what life is all about. Actually, we used to have no reasonable conception, conception whatever. We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices, which we might have observed that many spiritually-minded persons of all race, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness, which we would have sought ourselves. What happened? Something the matter? Oh. Mm-hmm. Is that better? Maybe. It's being goofy. It doesn't want to. All right. <laughs> well, they tried this different thing last time because apparently I wasn't loud enough last time. Who was here last time? All right. Good job. Thanks, guys, for, thanks guys for putting up with the, with the, with the uh, second string. <laughs> Instead, we looked at the human defects of these peoples and sometimes used their shortcoming as a basis wholesale of condemnation. We talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. We missed the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. We never gave the spiritual side of life a fair hearing. How many times do we do that, make snap judgments in our life? How many times do we still do it? Does anybody still make snap judgments? You just see somebody and you're like, you know what, I don't even like that dude. Right? They, they, no damn reason. I do it all the time still, too, right? Here I am standing up here talking about how, you know, spiritual I am. And, <laughs> and I do it. I'm just like, oh, yeah, no, that, that person stinks. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm just kidding. I mean, I do do that, but we make snap judgments. That's my point, right? So it is something that we want to work on. And, and so that's what the authors are talking about, right? They're, they're showing us the human side of them so we can recognize that they went through the exact same things that, that we probably have been going through. In our personal stories, you will find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power which is greater than himself. Whether we agree with their particular approach or conception seems to make little difference. 
Experience has taught us that these are matters about which, for our purpose, we need not be worried. I think that's, that's one of the things that within the church, right, for me, that, that they, these, they're talking about the atheists and the agnostics, but kind of on the, same, other, on the other flip side of that coin is, the, like I was talking about with the church, you know, those judgmental type people, and I just wanted to stay away from them. I, I lost my point, you guys. Damn it. Whether we agree with a particular experience, it's hard. We don't need to be worried about it, right? The, they used to, I know what I was talking about now, they... You got those people in churches and probably in AA rooms too, right? Oh, they're doing AA wrong, right? They're not doing it right. They, they should be doing it this way. And this is what, you know, you got churches that are the exact same way. And so we want to lay aside all those prejudices. These are question, questions for which each, each ooh, individual, I'm going to start over. They are questions for each individual to settle for himself. Between you and God. <laughs> I almost caught you off guard, didn't I? <laughs> On one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. These hundred, hundred men and women, right? Half of them atheists and agnostic, are strikingly agreed. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than themselves. This power has, in each case, accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. I don't know if I could even elaborate on that, right? Every single one of them agreed on it. That's a promise. If they laid aside their prejudice and began to take certain simple steps, they began to get results, and the miraculous happened in their lives, right? I mean, we're walking around in a whole building full of miracles, you guys. <laughs> a building full of miracles. Yeah, you can clap for that. A building full of miracles. As a celebrated American statesman put it, let's take a look at the record. Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed, right? Doctors, lawyers, scientists, people who believed in science. Some of them probably believed in, you know, had religious leanings or whatever, right? Most of the people back then did, right? You went to church somewhere. But... Uh, they flatly declared that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power, and to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. <laughs> How many of you needed a revolutionary change in your way of thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Be the revolutionary change. I definitely needed a revolutionary change in the way I thought. Because that's the problem rests in the mind. Right, guys? Everything's in the mind. We've got to act our way into better thinking. And so the only way is to take these certain simple steps. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and a sense of direction flowed into them. I jumped the gun earlier when I said, right, not a trickle or trip, drip or a trickle. <laughs> well, there it is. Power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowing into them. Right? The light switch came on. You're going to know it when it happens. This happened soon after they wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, they show the underlying reasons why they were making heavy going of life. Leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. So they're getting to that point, you guys, 
where they're beginning to realize and understand that the drink and the drug was not their problem, that really they were maladjusted to life or, you know, I'm, I'm having problems with relationships. I'm having problems with my employers, right? I don't have a problem with my job. I got a problem with, yeah. Uh, they, tell, uh, they show how the change came over them. When many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. Kind of giving us proof of the faith. Okay, so I have notes that I'm supposed to go over to page 53 now. That's what we did in the curriculum, anyway. Well, I mean, we could read about, they talk about next, they talk about uh, uh, the Wright brothers doing their flat thing. <laughs> These guys are going to giggle their way out of here in a minute. <laughs> um, uh, the Wright brothers doing their Katie Hawk thing. Um, uh, da, 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 uh, page 53, uh, about halfway down. When we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis we could not postpone or evade, we had to fearlessly face the proposition that God <laughs> is everything or he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. Come on, let's try that one again, Emily. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? Everything. 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 So we've gone from, eh, uh, you know, alcoholic death, spiritual life, maybe, to, like, you know, everything or nothing. It's kind of the same thing, right? But we're coming to, to realize that. Arrived at this point, we were scare, squarely confronted with the question of faith. We couldn't duck the issue. Some of us had already walked far over the bridge of reason toward the desired shore of faith. The outlines, and they're kind of explaining it in flowery, really flowery language, right? Saying... I, I probably somewhere deep down inside, right, or the, this is the author's, I believe somewhere deep down inside that, yeah, there probably really is something greater than myself because otherwise who could have made this beautiful starlit night or this beautiful rolling hill or, you know, saved my ass from a, you know, a fucked up situation I found myself in at some point. I mean, there was a, I had a bunch of those. Anybody else? Like have situations where you walk, walk away from it and you're like, Oh, yeah, that was a lot more dangerous than I thought it was, right? I mean, I'm an idiot. I'll walk right in. So there's arrived at such a point. We were square. Uh, sorry. We couldn't duck the issue. Where am I at? I lost my bridge of reason toward the shore of faith. The outlines of the promise of the new land had brought luster to tired eyes and fresh courage to flagging spirits. Friendly hands had, had stretched out in welcome we were, we were grateful that reason had brought us so far, but somehow we couldn't quite step ashore. Perhaps we had been leaning too heavily on reason that last mile, and we did not like to lose our support. That was natural, but let us think a little more closely. Without knowing it, we had been brought to where we stood by a certain kind of faith. Did I read that wrong? Without knowing it, had we not been brought to where we stood by a certain kind of faith. Right now, if we're really thinking about it, didn't wasn't there wasn't there a power or something greater than ourselves, something in our lives, protecting us, moving us forward? We we, we were making these these steps of faith, even if they, we didn't realize we were doing so. Um, 
For did we not believe in our own reasoning? Did we not have confidence in our ability to think? Remember, we're going inward, right? We're thinking about this for ourselves. What was that but a sort of faith? Yes, we had been faithful, abjectly faithful to the God of reason. <laughs> abjectly faithful to the God of reason. So in one way or another, we discovered that faith had been involved all the time. We found two that we had been... Uh, da, 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 da. We found, too, that we had been worshipers. What a state of mental goose flesh that used to bring on. That's not where I want to be. I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> I have a little notes, and I don't know why I made that little note right there. Uh, jump over to page 56, right? And we're just going to illustrate it real quick because we're pretty close. Jump over to the top of page 56, and we're going to talk about the minister's son. Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. So more like not the, the flip side of the atheist and the agnostic. Probably an over, over uh, preacher's son, probably, right? You know what I mean? You know what they always say about preachers' kids and cops' kids? Same kind of thing, right? <laughs> Why were you a cop's kid? Oh. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. For years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble and frustration, business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide. These calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. Post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism, impending mental and physical collapse brought him to the point of self-destruction. So here he is, like, right, he's coming from a... A religious family, he's had calamities in his families, traumas, whatever that may be, right? People got sick, people died. He owned a business, it probably failed. Uh, but it brought him to the point of self-destruction. One night, when confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. When they say that, when, who had known a spiritual experience, they're talking about... Uh, a, a, right, he had been in AA. He had been started doing this and was working with others and, and moving on. Our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out, right? They just talked about that to us a second ago, right? That, that, that violent uh, reaction to even the mention of God. If, <laughs> if there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But later, alone in his room, he asked himself this question, right? Eyesight without insight is spiritual blindness. It is, is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? It's that simple. Could, could they be wrong? Could I have been wrong? While pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought came. It crowded out all else. All else. Who were you to say there is no God? Who were you to say there is no God? I mean, could you just imagine, like, think about that. You're, he's probably, it, it, does it say he was in the hospital? He's probably, like, in a, in a hospital. Or imagine being in the hole by yourself. You ain't got no TV or any of that stuff, right? And all of a sudden, that thought came to you as you were talking to a God you maybe or maybe not believed in, right? And then all of a sudden, that thought comes to you. The man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to, to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. <laughs> Tangible feeling of God. It, it poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. 
Power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowed into him. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. Thus was our friend's cornerstone fixed in place. It just started right there. Right? He stepped from bridge to shore with that little act of faith and called out to a God he didn't believe in. <laughs> and it answered him. And the cornerstone was fixed in place and he began to just build on it. Thus was our friend's... Oh, yeah, I read that. No later vicissitude has shaken it. His alcoholic problem was taken away. Joe always says this guy, he stayed sober. He was more of the uh, Oxford group guy. Was this him? Oh, all right, my bad. I'm fucking shit up. That very night... <laughs> yeah, that's why I asked, because I wasn't sure. I know, anyway. His alcoholic problem was taken away, absolutely removed, right? That very night, years ago, it disappeared. Save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of drink has never returned. And at such times, a great revulsion has risen up in him. We'll talk about that when we get to step 10, right? Recoil from, as a hot, from a hot flame. Seemingly, he could not drink even if he would. God had restored, God had restored his sanity. What is this but a miracle of healing? Yet its elements are simple. Circumstances made him willing to believe. He over, humbly offered himself to his maker. Then he knew. Even so has God... Restored us all to our right minds. Who are, who's us? First 100, right? Restored us all to our right minds. To this man, the revolution was sudden. Some of us grow into it more slowly. But he has come to all who have honestly sought him. When we, draw, when we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. So if you'll just call out to him, he'll answer you guys. That's it. Thanks, guys.